I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. Cities around the country are talking about ways to change the way their police departments work. That comes after Black Lives Matter protests and deep concerns over police brutality. No surprise that Berkeley is on the forefront of reimagining its police department. Chronicle reporter Ryan Cost is here to discuss how policing in America might change, from traffic stops to mental health crises, and how police officers will spend their time instead. Ryan Cost, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You're doing a lot of great work for our new section, Throughline. I was wondering if you can describe for listeners who aren't familiar with it what Throughline is and what kind of feedback you're getting so far. Sure. Well, for the past, I guess it's been six weeks, seven weeks now, we've sort of taken our culture desk section and turned it into something altogether new, which we're calling the Throughline. Essentially, uh, I think we all kind of recognize that this is a pivotal moment uh, for the Bay Area and then also for the nation as a whole. We're dealing with a global pandemic. And then we're also dealing with sort of this national reckoning around uh, police violence and racial inequality. Uh, It's a lot in one moment to deal with. (laughs) 2020 (laughs) is a lot. Yeah. And I think it's, it's fair to say that, you know, we don't always recognize when we're sort of at these pivot points in history, but it seems pretty clear that this is one of those moments. And so we wanted to take a step back and imagine new futures and sort of ask ourselves, you know, how could the future look if we really use right now as a, uh, as a, a way to move in new directions? Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the fundamental of the section. And each week we've been focusing on a different sort of piece of our, our culture mm-hmm. or you know, what society might look like. So that's been everything from imagining a San Francisco where bikes kind of ruled the road. Bikes I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. Uh, to sort of what could art look like at a time mm-hmm. when we can't really be close together. And then this week we're looking at sort of rewriting the rules, which has a lot to do with sort of our criminal our criminal justice system. Yeah. So are you finding that readers are into this? Most of the stories have presented a pretty optimistic view of the future, it seems like. And I think we're all eager for um, a better tomorrow. So I was wondering if, if you know, these stories are striking a chord with people because they're so hopeful that things will get better. Yeah, well, I just asked the editors of the section about that, actually. One of them mentioned a 70-year-old reader who just wrote in last week to say that the section was giving her a lot of hope. Um, I think we've also seen certain stories get uh, retweeted and talked about by politicians locally, Mm -hmm. which has been kind of heartening to see. Uh, That includes the biking story and then another on the condition of the tenderloin and what has to happen there to make that a more livable neighborhood. Yeah, that was a really good one, too. But the subject of today's podcast is your most recent piece for Throughline, which reimagines policing in America. And Berkeley, um, no surprise, is on the forefront of this issue and um, has the potential to radically remake the way police officers operate and serve as a model for the rest of the country. And so that started because the city council um, took some interesting votes this summer. Can you talk about that and, and what they've done? Sure. Well, Berkeley passed sort of this all-encompassing omnibus bill that gets at several different uh, parts of police reform. It it basically amounts to outlines for really lofty goals, and the details are still to come. But it does everything from, you know, it it starts a conversation around significant reductions to the police uh, budget. It looks at how we might change the role of policing 
in, in traffic situations. It also looks at kind of creating a new sort of response team so that you're not always just sending a armed officer to every single uh, incident that gets called into the emergency hotline. And we're still a long way off from any of this becoming a reality, but you imagine a few different scenarios that could remake our daily lives and our interactions with police. And a big one is um, traffic stops, which of course are have been proven in studies to be um, uh, heavily, you know, Police officers heavily focus on black and brown people, and one traffic stop for them could result in far worse outcomes than it might for a white person. Um, so down the road, what will what will traffic stops look like? So a really big central piece of this new omnibus bill is the creation of a wholly new um, sort of department that's separate from the police department. They're calling it Dot for now, Berkeley Department of Transportation. <laughs> and essentially it would create a whole new group of people who would respond to traffic incidents. So that means instead of getting pulled over by a police officer because your tags are expired or you have a broken tail light or, you know, your windshield is cracked or something like that. And then that stopped turning into, you know, a car search or any other sort of, you know, kind of spiraling into something more dramatic than Mm -hmm. simply getting a ticket for a minor infraction. This person would strictly be there to say, hey, your taillight's out, here's a ticket, you know, please get that, you know, addressed. The idea is that if you're taking sort of uh, policing out of that, one, you're freeing up officers' times for, you know, much bigger issues, including, you know, violent crime and also investigations and all that sort of stuff. But also you're kind of from the outset de-escalating those situations. Right. And I thought it was interesting that you um, referenced that many Black Americans are enthusiastic about the idea of self-driving cars becoming a reality in the future, um, which I'd never really considered. Why are they enthusiastic about that? Sure. Well, you have to imagine with self-driving cars, if, if you have that computer algorithm and sort of that AI system working to shuffle everyone around the streets, then one, there's no real reason to pull people over unless it's, you know, significantly criminal like behavior behind the wheel but also it just takes all of the inherent bias out of policing so i think there for many good reasons are lots of efforts to reduce you know inherent bias in in the way that all of us approach the world but that still is that still is a difficult thing and and there are kind of wide-ranging studies that you know speak to its speak to how well that that sort of thing works or might not work. But like if you just have, you know, automated traffic enforcement or automated driving vehicles, then all of that is kind of addressed right there at the outset. So, so yeah, there's just no room sort of for, for this inherent bias to enter the system and to, to affect people uh, disproportionately. Hmm. It's interesting because automated speed cameras are still illegal in California. And one reason, um, that's the case is because the ACLU has fought them for privacy reasons, but it sounds like there could be some benefits in terms of taking bias out of who gets ticketed. So yeah, kind of an interesting subject. Um, yes. And that's actually, that speaks to part of the reason why this whole package of reforms is, you know, it, it, it's kind of precarious because as you said, those cameras do face some legal hurdles in California. And, and I think the council members are pretty aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things that would have to be, you know, sort of grappled with, including those privacy issues. And then also, of course, I think they all recognize that, um, 
you know, just getting a fine for every minor traffic infraction could potentially harm those who make the least, which, as we all know, people of the lowest income tend to be disproportionately uh, people of color. So that's a whole other piece is how then do we sort of uh, work with the fines or change sort of how how the criminal justice system works. So maybe you're not having fine upon fine upon fine. Instead, you're doing some community work mm-hmm. or, you know, other sorts of reparations. Yeah. And then you also mentioned that Mothers Against Drunk Driving and some other groups are concerned about this change in policing and would want police officers to be the ones to take drunk drivers off the road, because, of course, that's a more serious issue than, you know, having your taillight busted. So can you tell me more about that? Yes. So this is definitely one of those issues that I think everybody involved in this conversation agrees is a delicate one that's going to have to be talked through and worked over a lot. Nobody is suggesting that, you know, a year from now, we're not going to have police involved at all in traffic stops. That's mm-hmm. that's not what this proposal does. Um, but in, in that instance, you know, that might be a place in which you an armed and sworn officer might be involved. Maybe they'll have to make an arrest or something like that. But I think the idea is yes, we'll have to address these big issues as they come up, but let's sort of look at the most central piece of this and and try to remove as much as possible traffic enforcement from the everyday duties of police officers. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Ryan Cost. You also have a section in your very interesting story on sfchronicle.com about what the future may look like when you see somebody having a mental breakdown on the streets. That's obviously a huge issue in San Francisco downtown, and nobody really knows what to do when they see someone having, you know, a clear mental health crisis um, because you don't necessarily want police to respond, but you don't want to do nothing so um, tell me about that issue and how Berkeley may re- reimagine how that works. Right. So another really big piece of this omnibus bill was a move to imagine sort of a new way of dispatching uh, various professionals to, to emergency calls. So they're creating what they're calling a special care unit. And what they're hoping is that after a significant amount of time that is spent looking at sort of the volume of calls and teasing out from that various trends and sort of setting up various algorithms, maybe adding on a layer of AI, that it will become really clear very quickly when somebody calls the emergency hotline exactly what sort of response is needed. So with this new special care unit, you might have a response that includes a social worker, a therapist, a EMT, a firefighter, or, you know, in the most extreme cases, a armed officer. But the idea is that right now we're really not using any of this data. It's not, you know, very well known. So we might as well try to incorporate that into the way that our dispatch system works. So yes, so maybe you are dealing with a family member who's going through a crisis. You call the emergency hotline. There's a, you know, sort of automated piece of that that helps the dispatcher immediately know, okay, well, in these sorts of situations, we know that 99% of the time, what they really need is a EMT and a 
social worker and a therapist. So we're going to dispatch those three people to this house to help de-escalate the situation and hopefully move that person or get that person help through, you know, a wide variety of social safety services. Um, and again, like the whole idea is that that would, you know, immediately de-escalate the situation. The thing, the fact is, I think that right now there's such a public breakdown with the trusting the police that sometimes the mere presence of a police officer can really aggravate a situation. Yeah. And people may be concerned about calling them into a situation that they can't handle themselves either. So that's kind of a lose-lose. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to think that if you are, you know, the mother, uh, the black mother of a black son, and he's having some difficulties, are you going to call the police if you think that they're going to come into the home with, you know, a gun? I don't, I don't know, but I think that this offers, you know, perhaps some, some amount of reassurance that, Yeah, an alternative. Mm -hmm. And so if police are taken out of mental health crises and traffic stops and other kind of everyday things that crop up, what exactly would they be spending their time on? So um, I asked one of the the council members, this Ben Bartlett, and his, his, it was kind of a joke, but his answer was, imagine Luther, that television show kind of about elite detectives Mm -hmm. in, um, in the UK. But yeah, essentially this would become a really elite, job in which police officers spend most of their time investigating work or investigating crime, uh, they would, of course, still be available to respond to uh, violent incidents or to, you know, major crises. And then they would also use their time to, you know, increase the trust in various communities by working with various other social workers to, you know, build relationships, uh, with the people that they serve and the communities that they serve. And I think that's important too for investigative work, because obviously if you're going around asking people, you know, who did this or do you have any information on this crime? Um, you're probably going to get more responses, more leads if, if that community trusts you and sees you as a good person and as a good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would there probably be fewer officers overall? Yeah. I think that that is kind of the idea. I mean, if you don't have officers, you know, spending all of their time, you know, driving around looking for traffic infractions or responding to mental health calls, which does take up a huge amount of their time if if you look at sort Mm -hmm. of uh, various other departments. We don't have the exact breakdown for Berkeley yet, but, you know, in some other places like Seattle and Sacramento, it's pretty clear that those are significant time sucks for their for their use. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think ultimately there probably would be fewer officers. And that again is another sort of hurdle for all of this because I don't think, you know, unions are going to love to hear that jobs are being cut or taken away or in moved to other places. Mm-hmm. And this all sounds um, pretty common sense and like a good plan, but um, like anything related to bureaucracy and government, it's a long ways off. So what are some of the roadblocks to all of this happening? Well, one roadblock is obviously the city's budget, which like all budgets mm-hmm. everywhere has been pretty uh, decimated. decimated by the ongoing pandemic. Yes. Uh, so there's that. Although I think they're also kind of saying that that, you know, maybe offers a time to sort of be imaginative. Um, Mm -hmm. There are the police unions or associations. I think they'll have a lot to say about, you know, dramatic cuts to policing um, and in sort of the the siphoning off or the the redirecting of some of their jobs to other city employees. Um, And then, of course, there are the various sort of local, state and national laws that that Berkeley will have to navigate to try and, 
you know, initiate some of this in the city. I think, you know, we talked about the the automated traffic enforcement being one of those. Yeah. Great. Well, it's a really interesting piece. I appreciate you writing it and coming on Fifth and Mission to talk about it. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you to Ryan Koss for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening.